I actually encourage people, you know, if you're angry, don't punch a wall because it punches back. Why don't we get like a punching bag? But this is the same thing. Don't take it out on other people. But if that cathartic release in that video game helps you out, great. Welcome to Live Well and Thrive, a podcast recognizing the hard work, dedication, and diversity of our team at Kaiser Permanente Northern California. I'm your host, Carrie Owen Pleats. Teenage angst has always been a part of that generation. But what used to pass as angst is now being seen as a children's mental health epidemic. We saw during the pandemic, anxiety and depression in children skyrocketed. Whether it was the isolation from friends, missed milestones like graduations, or just the uncertainty of the future. In a previous episode, we talked about resiliency with Steve Kerr, head coach of the NBA champions, the Golden State Warriors, a guest who impressed listeners like Mary. She wrote, I was particularly impressed with Steve Kerr, who had such depth of wisdom and kindness. I really appreciate the emphasis the podcast has on healing and becoming whole again. Thank you, Mary, and keep those comments coming. Now let's turn to this episode that will help you, our frontline team, whether you have kids or play a role in a kid's life, or maybe you're just a kid at heart. We all know it's not easy to get kids to open up. They have their own language. My daughter has a tendency to grunt from time to time. And they have their friends, and yes, their video games. But it's within these video games that we've learned to connect with teenagers to help them recognize the warning signs of health issues. To dive deeper into this topic, let's welcome Dr. Gino Mortolaro, Youth Mental Health Clinician from Kaiser Permanente. Welcome to Live Well and Thrive, Gino, or should I call you Dr. M? (laughs) You know, I've been known to go by both, but feel free to to call me Gino for sure. (laughs) I love it, Gino. So why is this topic so important to you? Video games have always been a core tenet and feature in my life and so close to my heart. It was, you know, a way that I would go spend time with my godmother, you know, my aunt, and we'd play video games together. And then we'd make up little songs about the music in the video game and what was happening. It was just something that was super special for us. And now me and my husband have our PlayStation sitting next to each other so we can play them together on the couch. (laughs) I was astonished to read that one in six youth experience a mental health disorder each year, with half of all lifetime illnesses beginning by age 14. 14! What's behind this? That juncture, particularly that you're talking about around this 12 to 14, is such a critical time in so many people's lives. I mean, even thinking back to like our own lives, I know it feels like it might have been forever ago, but generally we still remember those things that were maybe uncomfortable or awkward or embarrassing. And, you know, that's that time where we're really developmentally starting to learn the idea of like, what is my role out in the world away from my family? Because before that time period, you know, it's really kind of like, oh yeah, my role is defined by my family and and my parents think I'm awesome. So great. (laughs) Yeah. These teenage years, we really start to develop like cliques and friendships and start to place more emphasis on what our role is in the larger community. And then on top of that, we see so much neural changes around pruning and kind of 
changing our underlying brain anatomy based on our use of it to say the least, but that's also been implicated in the development of some of these psychiatric illnesses around that time frame. So one stereotype is that it's hard to reach these kids, that they're holed up in their bedrooms, staying up late on social media, or playing video games. So how does this isolation contribute to mental health disease in kids? It is a normative phase of development where kids start to pull away from their parents. They want to be talking to their friends. That's a very natural response, and it's such a delicate balance. So I tell that to the parents in front of the teen or adolescent that I'm working with, but then I also kind of balance the other side of that coin with the teen and adolescent. They're like, but that can't be all we do. It's also not going to replace the responsibility for, hey, if I need to get my chores done or homework, okay, that takes place. And then we kind of have these other things. It's definitely a normal role, but I really encourage teens to understand that there's a balance there because certainly there's research that's shown that engaging in that social media, particularly the ones that are the echo chambers, if you will, create more feelings of isolation once we stop using them, which is why I really say like, hey, you know, do that, but also be spending some social time in person. So we hear so much about the dangers of too much screen time. Tell me, what are the benefits of gaming? There's got to be some benefits. You know, the one that I always plugged whenever I was playing video games in med school was like, oh, yeah, video games have been tied to better hand-eye coordination. So I'll make a great surgeon. And then I became a psychiatrist, so I don't really do that many surgeries. <laughs> but certainly that's one that has been actually researched and shown pretty consistently. But I had alluded to me and my husband playing video games now together on the same couch. We actually started our relationship with a long distance relationship. He was working about a state over. So we would get together in the evenings and have our little headsets on and playing this game together. And it was a way for us to spend time together doing something, but still being able to talk and sort of have that. And similarly, he has one of his best friends who now lives in Japan. That's an expensive plane ticket. So we don't go see him. But we will make times to play these games together, have voice chat going and kind of catch up. So certainly we saw this with the pandemic that I was really encouraging people. You know, they have all these board game video games. Why don't you set that up? Set up a voice chat, play a board game with your friends. You can do that virtually. So there is a great way to connect through that. Especially when you couldn't safely see each other. Do you think it really helped kids and just connectivity through the pandemic? A lot of my autism patients, because I have an adult autism clinic that I do, really will feel like they have a difficult time with social cues. For them, the pandemic was maybe honestly a little bit of, of a relief from some of those. Then they were finding themselves making these repeat friends that they were playing games with. One game in particular that did come up was Minecraft. And there would be these repeat people that they would play with and then they'd kind of get connected to like, oh, maybe this person has this YouTube channel and then get to know people through chatting about it. There was even one case where as lifts started happening from COVID, the parent was like, oh, I have so much trouble connecting because I'm not really into it. And I'm like, well, there's a whole Minecraft convention. So why don't you buy some tickets, go with your team and make that a family outing. You might not know it, but you can still go and have this event and really see them enjoying their element. What a fantastic opportunity, especially with parents who have autistic children who are seeking this ability to connect 
to find gaming as the way you can really connect with your children in a different way. It was such a meaningful experience for that teen with autism to see his parents taking interest in something that he assumed they didn't want to learn about, but was so important to him. And I tell parents all the time, pop in a two-player game, sit down next to them. You don't have to know what you're doing for a lot of them. It's just, you were there, you showed interest and you did it. And it's such an easy in into that world. <laughs> you're not just a child and adolescent psychiatrist. You're an e-gamer and people can't see you visually, but I know that you've got this really cool Mario t-shirt on right now. I am rocking my Mario t-shirt, <laughs> yep. Love it. <laughs> so when and why were you drawn to gaming? Certainly I had my aunt who I played with, but I was always a kid who wanted to be learning new information and wanted to be doing new things. And so I remember my parents buying me the equivalent of Leapfrog back in the 1980s, whatever they were, these one little like learning games. But I was just obsessed with being able to learn new information. I mean, just about anything. And it was in this sort of game form. And then school introduced Math Blaster, where you can do math to save the space colony. <laughs> So tell me, what are the benefits for adults today? We all need something that we can decompress with as sort of the self-care component. For some people, that's yoga. For some people, that's video games. I tell people like, hey, if that's your thing, block out some time for it. Just like you would block out time for self-care. Block out some time for some video games if that's what it takes to transition your day and decompress and be ready to move forward. Take advantage of the many wellness resources we offer our employees. ClassPass offers on-demand video workouts and discounts for in-person fitness classes. Learn more by clicking health and wellness on our website. Now back to our conversation. So Carrie, I know that there's a very personal and dramatic story that you have surrounding video games. I was hoping you wouldn't mind sharing that with our listeners. I was carjacked back in November of 2016. The car was stolen, the person money was stolen, the phone was stolen, the computer was stolen, but it wasn't the physical stuff. It was the feeling of being just 100% violated. My whole sense of security and safety was just broken. I was mostly unharmed physically. But mentally, I was a mess. I couldn't close my eyes without seeing the carjacker's face. And the next day, my husband and I were taking the kids to Disney World, the happiest place on earth. And I had to put this brave face on when, again, the only face that I was really seeing was the face of the guy who stole my car. So it's at the happiest place on earth, writing, it's a small world after all. All I wanted to do at that moment, and I'm not a violent person, but I just want to throttle the animatronic. I am just angry and I could feel it and I was bottling it all up. And that night I was in the arcade with my kids. Like a good parent, I was playing with my son and he was playing one of his favorite games and it was the Jurassic Park video game. The dinosaurs are attacking you and you have to shoot all the dinosaurs to protect everybody. I must have played for hours. <laughs> My family's leaving the arcade and I'm still like wanting to play. And it felt so good and just so cathartic. Yeah. I just needed to blow up some dinosaurs. Such a great example of how video games can be helpful. And I want to thank you for sharing that with us for sure. I actually encourage people 
you know, if you're angry, don't punch a wall because it punches back. Why don't we get like a punching bag? But this is the same thing. Don't take it out on other people. But if that cathartic release in that video game helps you out, great. So, Gina, let's talk about this initiative called Presence of Mind that you were an advisor on, an initiative that uses gaming to create a safe space for kids to talk, build resiliency, and reduce the stigma associated with mental health issues. Tell us about it. The goal is to really reach young adults, teens in these spaces where they're at, whether this is gaming itself, gaming channels, Twitch, and really helping change that discourse on mental health and reducing that stigmatizing language and even that self-perception of there's something wrong with me if I have a mental health diagnosis. We used influencers, we used pro gamers, we started training them and then have them kind of share their own messages with their fans and their followers. And it created this kind of lovely passion within them. And I think that really resonated with their followers and this demographic that we were hoping to reach. And, you know, they worked together with us and we created this series of interactive web trainings for providers, for you, for anyone. It's uh, findyourwords.org. You can find all the trainings there. There's actually a bunch of resources to various mental health information, crisis lines, all that. You know, with the trainings, it covered a wide range of topics, substance use, anxiety, depression, how to help a friend, suicidal urges and thoughts, a whole host of things. We ended up getting 150,000 completions of it. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was great. And then we were partnered with a research firm who looked at, did these interventions make a difference? And we found that those who engaged in our trainings and were engaging in the different levels of this initiative had reported this decreased stigmatizing feeling and felt more comfortable identifying and seeking help for themselves and others when it came to mental health diagnoses or symptoms. So findyourwords.org is out there. It's for employees. It's for the community at large. If you wanted to get directly to the trainings, it's findyourwords.org slash press play, and that'll bring you directly to those trainings. All right, I must be honest. I hadn't thought of gaming as a means for socialization, let alone improving interpersonal relationships amongst teenagers. What must a teenager who loves to game do to strike a balance in their lives? Sometimes it's that conversation of, okay, school and chores are like your job right now. And if you don't do your job, you don't get paid to then buy video games. So you have to kind of start to see that connection. And so then, of course, I turn to the parent and I'm like, okay, these video games don't just plop into their lap. You need to follow through on that. If they are not doing their job, they don't need a video game to survive. That is a luxury. And so if they can do that, get the stuff they need to get done and not have time for that video game, great. If they're not doing their job, they're not getting stuff done, then they don't need to have like another one for sure. They don't need a new console. Work, running a household, shuttling to activities and appointments, and sometimes the computer, much like the TV, is a stand-in for us spending time with our kids. What advice would you give parents who may feel guilty for their kids' gaming taking the place of the time we could be spending with our kids? If, for instance, there's a long drive where you're going to be driving, that's not really a time that you're going to be engaging. You're not really devoting full attention. So that's a perfect time. Like if that teen wants to, you know, play on their Switch, play on their phone, play a game or something, cool. That's not taking out of potential quality time. Similarly, 
if you find yourself not having any of that quality time because your schedule doesn't permit it, that's something you need to put in. Schedule with your teen, with your you know young adult. After dinner, we're just going to sit there for like 30, 45 minutes and, and talk about our day and catch up. I'm not going to let anything distract me. You're not going to let anything distract you. And we're just going to hang out. And that's something else that can be put in into a schedule. And for younger kids, we talk about quality playtime. Put that screen away, take out some Legos, build together. So, do you know, I end each podcast episode asking the same question of all of our guests, but I'm going to ask it with a twist this time. Instead of giving one piece of advice to help our team, what do you advise children do to heal or rebound from the past two and a half years? I've encouraged so many teens and, and adults, frankly, find the things that you were interested in, those hobbies you have. And if you're struggling, like think of anything new that you might want to try, because it's something that part one gets us out of our house and our routine and these sort of like safe spaces that we've cloistered in with COVID. Part two, it's so much easier to make friends when we have a mutual interest. And part three, it helps us get through any of those times in our week that are like not great. Yes, I have to study this week for this huge test coming up, but I have my Dungeons and Dragons club on Saturday that I'm really looking forward to. And so it makes it easier to manage those little stressors that come up in just everyday life. What a wonderful conversation. I want to thank Dr. Gino Mortalero, youth mental health clinician from Kaiser Permanente. Thank you, Gino. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to having this conversation because I knew it was going to be fun. So made my day. <laughs> this podcast is one of many resources to support your well-being, including the Calm app, which we offer to KP employees who are also members. You can find additional resources from physical health to mental health support to how to thrive at work on HR Connect under Benefits Wellbeing. I started this episode reading a comment from a listener, and I'd like to invite you to share what's on your mind. Ask a question or suggest a topic or a guest. Send it in an email or by a short video to livewellandthrive at kp.org. You never know, we may use your comment or audio snippet in an upcoming episode. And of course, I'd like to thank you, our listener, for tuning in to Live Well and Thrive, a podcast recognizing the hard work dedication, and diversity of our team at Kaiser Permanente. I'm Carrie Owen Pleats, and we'll see you next time.